You're listening to Comedy Central. Everyone's like, yo, Succession is the greatest thing. And like now there's like, oh, season, episode two. And I don't know, part of me wants to watch it. But then at the same time, part of me feels like I don't want to get into a show unless I can binge it. And now it got me thinking about like if binging is a thing that's healthy or not. Because on the one hand, I feel like you should only binge shows because I just want to know this. Like I'm tired of them being like, what happens next? No, it's happened already. You tune in next week. No, just tell me now. You know what I mean? Like, why did we even do that before? The only reason we did that was for ads and stuff, right? It was like, who killed him? I won't tell you who killed him because now we have to sell some toilet paper. That's like the only reason. And then we stream now, so we don't need it. But then at the same time, I sometimes wonder if it's unhealthy to binge. Because I realized we used to look forward to things because it came out weekly. I think if a show is complicated, they should let you binge it. And if a show is simple, we can do weekly. How about that? We just make that the new model. Yeah? The show comes out daily because it's complicated, but it's simple. (laughs) (laughs) Coming to you from the heart of Times Square, the most important place on earth, it's The Daily Show, Ears Edition. Tonight, tragedy on set. Meet the Senate's newest roadblock. And Anna Kendrick. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah, and my good man, Ronnie Chang, is joining me today on the show. What's up? Hey, what's up, Trevor? What's going oh, on? What's going on, man? Good yeah, to see you. Good to you see you. Know? Thanks for inviting me back in, finally. I mean, damn, it's like, it's like that restraining order you had on me finally expired or something. What are you, what are you doing? Just, just getting comfortable. Yeah, there's a chair. Everyone sits in the chair. Everyone sits in the same place. Why, why are you on my shelf? No, no, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm good here. Yeah, I'm yeah. not good. Okay, what? so what, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do now? Well, sit in the chair. We do the thing together. We do the show. Right. Now you've knocked oh. the books on the floor. I, I don't know. It just feels like I'm, I don't know. It just feels like a voyeur just sitting here. I don't feel like I'm part of it. You but you, I mean? you're talking to me, right? Voyeurs don't get to talk. Yeah, I know. But over there, it's just more connected. All right. Okay, well, yeah, but it's like you're behind me. Then when I talk to you, I have to like do this. Now I can just look at you like a friend. All right, all right, man. It's your show, man. Do whatever, whatever you want. Well, I mean, now the books are on the. F- okay. Well, I'll pick those up afterwards. But I mean, it's good to have you though. Yeah, either way. No, I, no, appreciate it, man. You ready for some headlines? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's all right, do let's it. do it. All right, our first story is about medical equipment. That, that wasn't me. All right, our first story is about medical equipment. It's the stuff doctors are always losing in your body after surgery. Now, when you go to the doctor's office, it's important for everything to be sanitary, right? Which is why they remove the popsicle before they put that stick in your mouth. But it turns out tens of millions of medical gloves that were imported into the US from Thailand were actually used gloves that were washed off and then repackaged as new ones. And apparently, they didn't even do a very good job. These are bags of discarded medical gloves, many filthy dirty, confiscated by the Thai Food and Drug Administration in December. These were reused gloves. They were washed, recycled. We don't know what they were, where they came from. Some of them were dirty, some of them had blood stains. This one is completely brown, discolored. This is nitrile, but you can tell it's been through a washer and a dryer, and it's changed color due to the heat. This is crazy, right? I mean, when I first saw this, I was like, yo, I bet this is how the pandemic started. If we had a secret lab in Wuhan, it was probably just two doctors shaking hands. Because these gloves are not meant to be reused. They're meant to be thrown into a trash bag 
which is then thrown into the ocean, which is then swallowed by a whale. That's the right way to do it. This is infuriating. I mean, I know the world is changing at a rapid pace and there's so much uncertainty about the future, but the one thing, the one thing I thought I could always rely on, the one thing I need to rely on is that when a doctor sticks a glove finger in my butt, that glove is losing its virginity. Medical gloves should never be filthy. Only thing in a doctor's office that should be filthy is that toy cube in the uh, pediatrician's waiting room. Have you seen that thing? Every kid touches it. That thing's Ebola waiting to happen. Don't say I didn't warn you, people. At the very least, if these companies are gonna hand out dirty gloves, don't go through all the trouble of washing and drying them, you know? Just do what hotels do and put a chocolate mint on the box. Yeah, and then we will be like, oh, there's a mint. It means it must be clean. Actually, Trevor, as someone who plays a doctor on a different TV channel, um, I'm gonna have to weigh in with my professional opinion on this one. Just putting it out there, doctors, you're using too many gloves, all right? We don't need that many gloves. We don't need a new glove for every hole, all right? All these gloves end up in the ocean, like you said. These guys, the Thais, they're just being environmentalists. It's good for the environment, all right? Look, you are being ridiculous right now. You need new gloves for each thing. It's sanitary. Look, I, all I'm saying is that right now, it's either baby whales choking to death or getting HPV sometimes. Okay, those are your options. I don't think it's point. only two options. Okay, well, hey, I didn't make the world. Okay, I just try to live in it. Okay, so which one you choose? Which one do you want? You want baby dolphins to die or do you want, maybe you might sometimes get something from your doctor's gloves. Yeah, now you've got me, because if I say I want the baby dolphins to die, now I'm an asshole. Yeah, that's the secret of America, you're an asshole either way. All right, well, for our next story, let's do what my haters and my grandmother are always telling me to do, and go back to Africa. It's amazing how hate and love overlap. A new study out of Mozambique has found that elephants in one park have been evolving to lose their tusks. Yeah, in fact, in the year 2000, there were three times as many tuskless female elephants as there were just 30 years earlier. I mean, which makes sense. Elephants don't need tusks anymore. We have can openers now, but that's actually not the reason for this rapid evolution. It's thought to be the result of ivory poaching that started there in the late 70s. Researchers say a very small portion of female elephants are born without tusks naturally. But now that small portion is getting a little bigger because tuskless females are more likely to survive. Yeah, believe it or not, these elephants, like most females, are just trying to avoid Don Jr. But being able to avoid poachers is great news for elephants. I mean except for the elephants who just graduated from dental school. I mean, there goes their future. But, but honestly, if other animals want to survive, maybe they could learn from the elephants. You know, turtles should evolve to eat plastic. Fish, they should evolve to also eat plastic. Pretty much if you're an animal, you should evolve to eat plastic. Yeah, because I'm sorry, guys, we're not using paper straws. I, I think we've just decided as humans. Yeah, you know what, elephants, I got great move here. What took you so long? Decades of this. What do you think was gonna happen if you're an animal with money growing out of your face? What do you think is gonna happen next? Yo, if I walked around Times Square with Bitcoin growing on my ass, dude, I have a poacher problem too, all right? So just saying, it's you know? Not, it's not money though, it's not money. Yeah, that stuff is what, I don't know, what are you? No, I'm saying Bitcoin, it's not money. Bitcoin's oh. not money. <laughs> Well, <laughs> well, whatever it is, people want it, okay? If you're, you've got something people want growing out of your body, 
Yeah, no, Ronnie, it's not, but it's like, it's, it's not even like a real thing. People who want it, like, want it for like a fake thing. What are you talking about? A Bitcoin or ivory? No, ivory. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know what people use ivory for. I mean, you're from you're from the region, right? Like what, what the region? Oh yes, I'm from Africa. Yeah. You're saying like right. I'm from a region where we use. We don't. We have the ivory. So, and then, okay. Oh, oh sure. So we don't nobody use wants ivory, ivory then. We oh, don't my, use my ivory. Bad. Nobody wants this shit. People I'm, just killing elephants and taking the tusks. No, and because in other away. regions of the world, I don't want to say which regions, because then we're gonna get into a fight. <laughs> I'm just saying in other regions of the world. Hey, don't put people, this on us. Okay, I'm not putting this on you. Dude, I've never seen an elephant tusk in my life. Yeah, right? because you turned it into ivory, not no, you. I, I shouldn't have said you. No, no, I, that's you guys. That's no, you we, guys No, we have it. the ivory. No, I, I, well, I'm not using the ivory. Well, I'm not making the ivory. I'm just saying we, that we have elephants. Okay, well, somebody is shooting elephants and using the ivory, and it's not us. And you're telling me it's not you guys. No. Well, then, then there shouldn't be a problem then. <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad we solved this thing. Yeah, I'm glad too. Wait, where did you get a glove? Oh, this thing? Oh yeah, I was just gonna be a good friend and, you know, just maybe check you for any for problems what? you might Health? have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all good, man. I play a doctor on TV. Uh, uh, just, just say the word moment Yo, of zen. You I'm can't right be in the there. studio with a blood. No, 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 don't worry. Glove. This is I, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I got it from some guy on Amazon. It's clean. He said it was clean. Yeah, no, you, you, you need to leave with that. Okay, no, so... You, you need to leave with um, that. It's, that's like a health hazard. Yeah, let's get... Oh, let's you get know Ronnie. what's a bigger health hazard? Not checking for posture at your age. Not checking your posture at your age. That's, that's a bigger health hazard. Okay, what do you want? Do you want cancer in your butt? Or do you want maybe HPV? Because those are your options at this point, okay? I didn't make the world. I just try to live in it. Just say the word. Okay, well, I'll do it. I'll, do okay. it. I'll, I'll meet okay, you I'll in, see I'll you after in the green room. Okay, cool. I'll meet I'll you in my Okay, yeah. cool. Thank you so much. All right, that's enough for the headlines. Let's jump into our main story. Over the weekend, people all over the globe were sharing a story that was not only shocking, but also heartbreaking. There was shock and disbelief tonight after actor Alec Baldwin was involved in a fatal and apparent accidental shooting of a woman on a New Mexico movie set. Alec Baldwin seen in anguish Thursday after firing a prop gun on the set of Rust, an independent western, killing cinematographer Helena Hutchins and injuring director Joel Souza. According to a search warrant released late Friday night, another crew member grabbed a prop gun off a cart, handed it to Baldwin and yelled, cold gun, apparently unaware it was located with live rounds. A safety bulletin for the industry says live ammunition is never to be used, except for the very rare occasion, which did not appear to be the case for the movie Rust. So if indeed it was a live round, where did that live round come from? How did it get into the gun? Now the nation is asking, how could something like this happen? Today, investigators are trying to determine how in the world a prop gun, which is supposed to be loaded with blanks, killed one person and injured another. Okay, maybe I'm an idiot, but I don't get this. Like, why do they need to use real guns to make a fake thing? Because Hollywood movies love using the fake version of real things for everything except guns. Like in Hollywood, they've got fake everything. They've got fake tigers, they've got fake houses, they've got fake diversity and inclusion initiatives, but then when it comes to deadly weapons, suddenly they're like, let's get a real gun and uh, see what happens. Yeah, you know, switch things up. It makes no sense to me. Live gunfire is something that should have been phased out of movies a long time ago, like blackface. But I guess Hollywood has a history of moving slowly on innovation. I mean, shit, it was only a few years ago that they found out that women could be over 33. And what makes the story even worse 
is that usually there are a lot of safety measures in place to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen. But it sounds like this movie set didn't take safety that seriously. NBC News has learned safety concerns, including multiple previous misfires of the same prop gun Baldwin used, led several crew members to walk off the set hours before the accident. And the LA Times says a crew member recently texted the unit production manager warning, quote, we've now had three accidental discharges. This is super unsafe. 24-year-old Hannah Gutierrez-Reed was in charge of weapons on the set in New Mexico. She recently discussed her experience on a podcast. By all means, I'm still learning. I think loading blanks was like the scariest thing to me because I was like, oh, I don't know anything about it. Okay, that, that is not something you ever wanna hear from a person in charge of your guns. And it's also a good reminder to never go on the ominous foreshadowing podcast with Zach and Kyle. I mean, this gun misfired multiple times and still was allowed on set? How is that possible? Like, was this gun's dad the producer? Now, reportedly, one of the reasons that this might have happened is because the production didn't want to spend the money on firearm safety experts. And guys, look, man, if you don't have the budget to pay for gun safety, for your gun movie, then maybe you shouldn't be making a gun movie. Make a different movie. Like, I don't know, a cooking movie. Or maybe a movie about how two people aren't really meant for each other, but actually are. Just do one more of those. Because it is absolutely unnecessary for anybody to lose their life for a pretend thing. But I guess some Hollywood productions don't feel that way because this isn't even the first time that this has happened. Tragedy has struck before on a set at the hands of a prop gun. In 1993, Brandon Lee, son of the martial arts icon Bruce Lee, was killed at the age of 28. He was on the set of the film The Crow. That was after an improperly loaded Smith & Wesson fired while filming. And back in 1984, on the set of the TV series Cover Up, the actor John Eric Hexum died from an accidental self-inflicted prop gunshot. He was just 24 years old. Yeah, you see, it's happened before. It's like every few years, someone on a movie set gets shot for real by a pretend gun. And maybe this is a controversial take, but I don't think movie things should kill real people. Even once in a while, it shouldn't be acceptable. Can you imagine if every so often one of the robot dinosaurs in Jurassic Park actually ate a person? Best believe there would never be a sequel. In fact, forget Jurassic Park, they would cancel Barney. They'd be like, yo, yo, get that thing away from the kids, it's too risky. Look, people, this is a mistake that never should have been made. It's a life that never should have been lost. And hopefully, hopefully, it's a tragedy that never happens again. All right, when we come back, we'll talk about the Democrat who's rarely president. And Anna Kendrick is joining me on the show. So don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Show. Let's talk about the Democratic Party, the only thing more dysfunctional than the HBO Max app. Right now, Democrats in Congress are fighting over which parts of President Biden's agenda are most important to keep. Is addressing climate change more important than expanding paid family leave? Is free pre-K more important than free college? Should every American get okay healthcare or should one American get super amazing healthcare that makes them immortal? And the reason they have to make these decisions is that they need all 50 Democratic senators to pass Biden's agenda and two of them are insisting on bringing the price tag down from $3.5 trillion to about $2 trillion. And $1.5 trillion is a huge cut. I mean, no one's lost that much money since Jeff Bezos got divorced. And it's kind of weird 
that there are two senators who are okay with spending two trillion, but not a penny more. I mean, what's, what's the difference between two and three trillion? People don't even have calculators that go that high. I mean, like once you're six digits past boobless, it's all imaginary money anyway. Now, the two senators standing in Biden's way are Joe Manchin, representing the great state of his houseboats, and Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema, seen here on a diplomatic trip to Margaritaville. And while Manchin has been pretty clear that he'll support the legislation as long as it saves West Virginia from the ravages of clean air and water, pinning down what Senator Sinema wants has been a lot harder to figure out. Democrats hope to pay for the roughly $2 trillion package by increasing taxes on the wealthy and big corporations. But one key holdout, Senator Kirsten Sinema, is not on board with that. One of the big challenges for Democrats in this final stretch has been that they don't really know where Senator Sinema stands because she hasn't made her views public. She is the, the sphinx of all this. Nobody can figure out what is making her tick. That's right. Kirsten Sinema is the sphinx of the Senate partly because nobody knows what she's thinking and partly because she won't give anyone the bathroom key before answering her riddles. Ah, nice try, Kirsten, but I'm just gonna pee in my pants. Ah. And you know, it's, it's weird that in the Senate, withholding information can actually give you power. Like what other job can get away with that? A waiter doesn't become more influential by refusing to tell you what the specials are. Um, excuse me, sir, what are the specials of the day? Ooh, wouldn't you like to know? Okay, are you guys ready to order? But maybe to figure out what cinema wants, you first have to understand who she is. So let's do that. Let's get to know Senator Cinema in another installment of Please Allow Me to Introduce Yourself. Kirsten Cinema was born and raised in Arizona, which is already tough. I mean, everything there is trying to kill you. The animals, the heat, even the plants are covered in daggers. But Cinema's childhood was especially tough. She grew up poor, and at times her family was even homeless. But she overcame those obstacles. She got an advanced degree and became a lawyer, a social worker, and an activist. It's the kind of story they turn into an inspiring movie that you swear you'll watch once it lands on Netflix and then just never do. Basically, she was the kind of person you'd hope would run for office, and then that's exactly what she did. Cinema first started out far left of center as a Green Party activist, entering politics in Arizona as a Ralph Nader supporter, organizing anti-war protests after the September 11th attacks. The states are the laboratories of democracy, and then my state, Arizona, is clearly the meth lab of democracy. <laughs> she fought against the same-sex marriage ban. She fought for the rights of immigrants. She spoke out about mass incarceration. She fought to include gender identity and anti-discrimination laws. She led a successful effort to kill a ban on affirmative action, and she strongly opposed abortion restrictions. Tea Party Republic is all the same thing. It's called crazy. Kirsten Cinema once invited a coven of feminist witches to protest the Iraq War in 2003. Yeah, that's right. She once brought witches to protest the Iraq War, which, to be honest, does not seem like the best use of their skill set. I mean, if you got witches on your side, don't waste them on a protest. You get them to cast a love spell between George Bush and Saddam Hussein, you know, really spice things up. And by the way, it's funny how it was specifically a coven of feminist witches. Because I mean, that seems redundant, you know, like saying emo vampire. It comes with the territory. I mean, are there any witches who are not feminist? Call me old fashioned, but it's the woman's job to push the children into the oven. 
But yes, it can be hard to believe now, but Cinema started her political career as a hardcore progressive. So you might expect that the reason she's holding up the Democrats' legislation is because it doesn't turn America into a socialist paradise with free healthcare, free education, free milk made from nuts you've never even heard of. But that's not the case. Because as young cinema's star began to rise, it also started drifting to the right. Her politics began to shift as she sought higher office. After winning her first congressional campaign in 2012, she joined the Blue Dog Coalition, a group of centrist House Democrats. Cinema, who once doggedly fought for immigrants and refugees as a social worker and attorney, chose to side with Republicans in voting to block undocumented immigrants from receiving stimulus checks. And with her ascent to the U.S. Senate, she attempted to take over the late Senator John McCain's mantle of maverick, opposing abolishing the filibuster and voting against raising the minimum wage, bucking her party in the model of McCain. Kirsten Cinema admits she doesn't like to mention her party affiliation in her ads. Are you a Democrat? I am. Proud Democrat? Oh my gosh, it's hard to say proud. I don't know that, I'm not sure that people are even proud of parties anymore because I feel like the parties are ugh, not doing a good job. Oh, damn. She talks about being a Democrat the way a person talks about owning an Android phone. I, I don't actually like it. I'm just on my mom's family plan. Yeah, it's not like my phone. And look, changing views, especially political views, that's totally normal. A lot of people, when they're young, are idealistic and have passionate beliefs. But as they get older, they decide that their most passionate belief is not paying taxes. What's unusual about cinema is that she shifted so far, so fast. I mean, she went from hosting witch covens to denying immigrants healthcare in just a few years. It's almost like she got bitten by a radioactive Ted Cruz or something. And what's interesting is that as cinema's politics became more mainstream, her personality picked up the slack. Kirsten Cinema becomes the first woman ever to serve as senator in Arizona. So it's a very big deal. She's a three-term congresswoman. She is a triathlete. She broke barriers coming to Congress as the first out bisexual member, but it's never part of her identity that she's dwelled on. Even telling reporters when asked back in 2005, duh, I'm bisexual. It's safe to say the U.S. Senate has never seen anyone like her before. She's made quite the presence with her colorful wigs and bright outfits. Her unique and edgy style, from this F-off ring to her colorful wigs to this dangerous creature shirt she wore to preside over the Senate floor. Breaking the internet. Good. All emphasizing her nonconformist core in both style and substance. Yep. Cinema rolled into Congress like she was a senator from Candyland. And honestly, this might be my favorite thing about her. I mean, I, I love a senator who shows some style, you know, especially in a place where all these guys think rolling their sleeves up six inches is a glow up. I think it's nice to see one of them looking like they didn't just grab whatever was available in the Senate's communal suit bucket. It's a change. So that's Senator Kirsten Sinema, a once committed progressive who now changes her political beliefs like their wigs. And who knows? Maybe her most core belief is getting as much attention for herself as possible. But regardless, this is bad news for Joe Biden. Because his only hope is that she suddenly changes her political views back as fast as she changed them the first time. And I don't think she's going to do that. Or at least she's not going to do it on her own. So, Joe Biden, you might want to get those witches back together. All right, when we come back, Anna Kendrick is joining me right here in the studio. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is an actor, an executive producer, and she goes by the name Anna Kendrick. 
She's here to talk about her HBO Max series, Love Life. Anna Kendrick. Hi. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I said you go by the name of Anna Kendrick, but I mean that's... That's a really weird way to put it. Well, I think sometimes it's just like, you know what it was? I think I was listening to like some hip hop before you came out that, that go, you know, like people and people will say that I go by the and name, name of, yeah. But then and I am very hip hop. That's what people think of when they think of me. That so. is the first thing I think of yeah. when I think of you. So welcome <laughs> so to the show. Correct. Thank you so much. I feel like this is a, it's, it's not just like a welcome to the show, but it's welcome back to like a, an area that I feel has like a really special place in your heart because Times Square, Broadway, like this was the beginning for you, wasn't oh, it? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I, I was mostly thinking about coming back and like, you know, no audience, whatever, that's sort of looser and there's like a nice vibe to not having a, a live audience. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Times Square is, uh, well, this area is, yeah, w the first job that I ever had. Uh, I was gonna say in New York, but the first job I ever had ever was, uh, uh, yeah, was a Broadway show uh, just 13. down the street. Uh, I was 12. Yeah. Twelve. Yeah, get your facts right. No, yeah. I was, when did, okay, when did I you get the Tony? 13. When did you get the Tony? It's possible that like I was nominated when I was twelve, and then by the time the ceremony had happened, I turned thirteen or something 13. like that. Okay. I'm not. I don't remember. But actually. Still, I mean, that's still pretty impressive. Yeah, that's pretty young for all that, all that noise. Do you? Oh, yeah, that, that's actually a, a good question. Then, how did you avoid the child star trap? Then, how are you normal? Um, are you normal? Well, <laughs> uh, that's the million dollar question, but. Uh, I feel like, actually, I was thinking about this recently, that I think theater, for better and potentially for worse, I'm not mm -hmm. sure, um, theater um, like asks a lot more of its child actors. Oh, like, there, when okay. you go on, I mean, you know, you've been on film sets, and right. you know, yes. that it's like, can we get you water? You know, there's, yes, a, there's it's, a fawning, it's a very pampered, yes, pampered yes, yes, that's true. Uh, existence. Right. And, it's, and it's all, <laughs> it is all kind of fake because they just don't trust you to not run off. <laughs> like, it's not that it's coming from a place of like, genuinely, we think you're so wonderful. It's just coming from a place of like, we don't trust you to go to the bathroom and not get lost. So we have to take you there, you know, that kind of thing. But I think when you're very young, you might actually internalize that as like, yes. oh, I'm, I'm special. Like I'm at the top of the pecking mm -hmm, order. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was doing High Society, when I was 12, there was a day that I, I kept forgetting my line and like in front of everyone, the director was like, well, we're gonna cut that line if you forget it one more time. And I did, and they cut the line. So it was very like, okay, oh, yeah, like, that's the total work opposite ethic. Of... Like obviously that was maybe a little too, <laughs> too humiliating, but uh, but generally speaking, it was just like, you're gonna be here, you're gonna rehearse all day, yeah. you know. Do you miss it? Yeah, every time I go and see a show, I'm just like, I'm so great green with envy that like I'm not on stage and it's just like such a magical okay, experience. But do you, are you able to like totally shut up? So sometimes what happens to me is if I'm watching a show, like let's say stand up, I spend yes. half the show mm -hmm. thinking about like what I would have done or like how, where I like the joke, I see it coming, I don't see it yes. coming, you know what I mean? Do you have that when you go to Broadway? Are you just like, huh, I wouldn't have done the note that way or? Interesting, well, I, but I do that with film too. You must, I mean, you must do that with TV no. and, with no? TV? No, no I, you don't do that with Tv and no, film, just I with just stand up. Watch. Yeah, just with stand up. But so I end up doing that with, with film and television and then with live theater, but I think, and I wonder if this is the same for you with stand up that um, the true test of like how great it is is if that forget. part of your brain yes, shuts exactly. off. If you're not thinking about yeah. like, oh, I, that's an interesting time to move the camera that way. Like, <laughs> do it on a steady cam? I don't know, that's a choice. But when you're just not thinking about that at yeah. all because you're so engrossed in the material, so the you're same like, thing will happen with Broadway yes, then. Okay, of course. so when you're just like so engrossed, well, let's talk about your, um, your show. Season two, congratulations. Yeah, I'm so, I, I, I mean, have to say, I'm so excited for people to see season two and I feel like it's a lot easier for me to talk about season two. Wait, what does that mean? Because I'm not the lead of season two now so I get to just be like 
you guys, the show is so good. <laughs> wait, it's wait, wait. So no, but wait, good. Wait. So you're saying before you wouldn't want to talk about it because you were afraid that it's like, oh, well, I'm so good. I, well, I well I can't be like this. You know, the of course I want people to see the show and I think the right, show right, is right. good. But it's like a lot easier for me to just unabashedly be like, okay. you guys, the show is so good. And William Jackson Harper from The Good Place is so great on this season. Like it's unbelievable. And Jessica Williams. Yes. Is. Uh, Electric, electrifying. I've never um, seen you speak about yourself like this. Well, that would be weird. No, I don't think it would be weird. Sorry, there's a siren going by. It's Times Square. <laughs> but like, no, I don't. I don't think that would be weird at all. I think, like, maybe. Let me think. Maybe you should add like an like an S to your name, and then be like, it's Anna Kendricks who's in the show, and then you talk about her like that as well. Maybe like she's a. I mean, Anna Kendricks is like she's I just would, phenomenal. I, I would in end this. up being like Anna Kendricks is, is. You know, she's talented, but she's uh, she's kind of a lot. <laughs> I don't know, she's not for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you, know, you know what I loved about this show is like, season one was, I will say this, it surprised me because it was like the nicest show on HBO Max. Let me start with that. Oh, so like a lot of the yeah. stuff on HBO Max is like Suicide Squad-y. Yeah, you know what I mean? I yeah. love it, it's funny, it's dark. And then this was, I was like, oh, I was like, is this gonna be like a, is this dark? Is this, I was yeah. like, no, I was like, this is nice. It's really nice. I was like, oh, this is very friendly. This is, this, I was not expecting that from HBO Max. Yeah, no, it is, like, it's a very kind of, like, approachable, yes. friendly yes. show. Right. Um, and then it does get into um, some, some heavier stuff, um, but in a way where, like, you are laughing the entire time. There's a, there's an episode later in the season where, like, uh, the three kind of guy friends end up on this camping trip, and that episode is, I think, my favorite episode because it is—it really, really gets into the the brutality of heartbreak, yeah. you know. But it's so funny. It's like three guys on mushrooms in the woods, and it's so funny. But you're still getting all of that like catharsis of watching somebody go like, God, like love is this fundamental human drive mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it just tears us apart. But, you know, to be able to be like really laughing while you're exploring that is amazing. Um, I would love to know before I let you go, you know, your character, Darby, we, we traveled through so much with her. Yeah. You know, it was like this whole journey. It was like, oh, here we are. We got to relive moments of her life, obviously. And so it's like, you know, the young love, the new love, the, the getting married. The, the, then it's like, oh, and then at the end of the season, it's like, oh, now here we are with her as a single mom. And it's just like a journey that she's been on. Have your ideas on love changed or been shaped by the show in any way? Is there, is there something where the material has made you think like, huh, I wonder if I see love differently or have you shaped the show because of how you see love? Oh, that's really, well, yeah, that's really interesting because I, uh, the first season, um, a couple of things happened. Like a lot of that first season was personal experience. And in fact, I was like, we have to change some of these details so wow. that I don't get some angry phone calls. Um, but there was one episode in particular that I like went to the creator when I got the script for this particular episode and was like, we need to change some more details. Like I, this is way too close to my real life. And he was like, we have not talked about this. This episode, we didn't consult you on this thing. And I was like, so actually the most close to my life was the thing that I didn't talk about. And that was, that's the crazy thing about season two yes. is that I, I'm going like, it feels just as personal and it like none of it's drawn from my actual life. And so it, it feels almost like I actually, there was another thing where I had never had an experience quite like the one that Darby has. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. since the show has ended, I have had that experience. And, oh you know, so it's, uh, like this kind of weird uh, road map or like sometimes it feels like the show is like my personal psychic or something. Um, so I don't know. 
Yeah, I guess it's that, you know, that, yeah, that, like that, a, that constant question of is life imitating art or is art imitating life? That's probably why people love the show, because it connects with people. There are moments where you feel like you're watching a real show, if that makes sense. But it's yeah. just like, it's a show that connects, it's a show that makes you laugh. And then when it stops, you're like, oh yeah, I was watching a show. I wasn't just watching my friends. So that's what people love about it. Congratulations Thank on season so two. Thank you so much. I love that. Thank it's you. It's going to be fun to watch. Season two of Love Life premieres on HBO Max on October 28th. Make sure to catch it. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, please consider supporting the Violence Intervention Program in New York City. They work within Latino communities to end domestic and sexual violence by providing emergency shelter and advocacy for long-term economic stability and healing for survivors and their children. So if you wanna support their work in any way, then please donate at the link below. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, if you're getting a prostate exam, do not let the doctor use those gloves from Thailand. You have him do it raw dog. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central, and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.